Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I am live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I'm going to talk about two recent gaming experiences says experiences that I had. Um, one, playing Star Trek Adventures, the Modifius 2D20 Star Trek game, and one playing the new RuneQuest Glorantha, doing character creation for Chaosium's new RuneQuest Glorantha. Um, both of them were great, and um, I'm going to talk about them, so stay tuned. Star Trek Adventures was super fun. Um, we did not do character creation. We used pregens, which um, I actually, having done the character creation once or twice for Star Trek Adventures, I really like the system. It's So it's a life path system, but also there's some interesting choices that you make over the course of the life path. So like basically how you responded to the events that happened in your character's life make a big deal too, which I think is neat. Um, and you go to Starfleet Academy and, you know, learn how to do whatever job you're expected to do as a, an officer of Starfleet and all of that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, the character generation for Star Trek Adventures is very cool. And I hope to, if we play more Star Trek Adventures than just through this starter set, um, I hope that we get a chance to generate characters because I have a couple of ideas for cool characters. Um, but anyway, I was playing a pre-gen Lieutenant Tuprell, a Vulcan medical officer, and we were essentially sent as a command team, three of us, the, the con officer and the um, chief engineer and the um, chief medical officer, myself, were sent as a command team onto this ship that was sending out a distress beacon that was having these issues with this special field interfering with communications and transporters and all that sort of stuff. So we had to take a shuttle over. And um, it was really fun. It was uh, a really good time. I mentioned before, I am not a huge Star Trek guy. Um, I think, well, I think there's a couple things. I think one thing is I kind of bounce off of the uh, the sort of optimistic future element um, in Star Trek. The, the idea that, well, things have just gotten so much better and I... I like the idea of things getting better, but it, somehow it, it um, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me, I guess. Um, but um, Star Trek Adventures was really fun. I So I have seen the new Star Trek movies and a couple of episodes from each series um like you know two or three episodes of the original series and two or three episodes of the next generation and i don't know if i've seen any um voyager deep space nine um but then i've seen a couple episodes of enterprise and then i haven't seen any discovery um the new one but oh and after the session of star trek adventures i watched the wrath of khan which was was fun um it was a good a good you know, fun movie. 
interesting how so much of that movie seemed to be kind of already in the the cultural consciousness for me. Um, but I'm getting off track. Star Trek Adventures, if you don't know, it's based on Modiphius's 2D20 system, which is you are rolling a handful of D20s trying to get below a score made up of a, a, a stat plus a skill, generally. Generally, you have a stat that is between about 7 and 12 at the highest, and a skill that is between 0 and 5. You add those together um, to get your range of 7 or 8 to, like, 17 at the best. Maybe even higher. Um, and you try to roll under that. If you roll very low, and in, in Star Trek Adventures, it's if you roll very low and you're doing something related to one of your um, foci, you have um, focuses... Focuses, foci. Um, you have these special things that you're assumed to know a whole lot about, and that makes it easier to get multiple successes on a single D20, because if you roll low enough, you count as two successes. Um, and that's really cool, because so one of the ways that this works is that extra successes turn into momentum, and momentum and threat are these two meta currencies that the GM and the players have access to the the gm has threat and the players have momentum and you use momentum to do interesting things so one of the things you can do is you can use momentum to buy extra dice to roll on your test so for instance if you're sitting on um, a fair bit of momentum you can rather than rolling 2d20 roll three or four or up to five d20 um, which in practice feels really good i um, I've talked before about Conan 2D20 and how great it feels when you pick up five D20s because you spent momentum and are, you know, going to roll all of them. And, and especially when you're doing something that you're really good at and you're going to generate up a ton of momentum and um, just, you know, murder some bad guys. Anyway, um, Conan 2D20 is really fun. Star Trek Adventures is a little less crunchy than Conan. It's a little more kind of freeform and narrativized. And there's, um, in particular, the the combat is a little simpler. Um, but it's really fun. It was um, a great fun session. I really liked the way that the the narrative, the kind of narrativized resolution mechanics worked. Um, it was great for kind of creative problem solving, which to me seems very Star Trek as somebody who doesn't know a whole lot about Star Trek, but it seems like kind of creative problem solving. And one of the things you can do with momentum is you can ask the GM a question to gain more information. Um, and then finally, one of the, the cool things about the way that because you generate momentum on rolls, it creates a really nice gameplay incentive for proactive characters that you as the player are always looking for well what can i do next there isn't really ever a sense of you know especially with some games it seems like there can be a sense of like you know i'm just sort of along for the ride at this point and that 
Um, I think the, that the way that the 2D20 system works really tries to avoid that feeling and um, does a good job of avoiding that feeling in that you get a sense of, I am playing a, a capable, proactive character who is always looking for a chance to, to shine, to do what they're good at, all of that sort of stuff. Um, certainly, that's the way I felt. I think um, the, the kind of gameplay loop of these 2D20 games works well for that if you are um, success-oriented playing, which you don't, you don't have to be. You know, some players may not care as much about winning the game, essentially. But for those of us who do care about winning the game, um, it, uh, it works really well for um, encouraging that type of kind of skilled and um, proactive play that, you know, I was looking for, you know, what can I do as my medical officer? And what I found was, for instance, I could um, give orders as a medical officer and use my medicine skill um, to essentially give orders under fire in a, a, chaotic situation and use that to build up momentum so that the actual task resolution role would have a bonus, um, which was really cool. It was anyway, um, Star Trek adventures, very fun, um, reliable sources by which I mean the other guys that I played with say that it felt super Star Trek-y. Um, I'm, I'm not a reliable source for that, but I, I'm glad that it felt super Star Trek-y. If that's what Star Trek is like, then I might have to seek out more Star Trek. Um, yeah, Star Trek Adventures was a, a really fun game. And and Modifius 2D20, it's a really solid system. There's a couple of other. So there's the Conan 2D20 game. There's, um, I think, Infinity and... Um, Mutant Third Edition, and then I think that Modifius. Oh, and then there's John Carter is recent. John Carter, similar to Conan, is a little bit similar to Star Trek Adventures. It's a little bit simplified down from Conan. Um, I think it'd be interesting to play that one and see what it's like. Um, I think that there is a Modifius. 2D20 version of Actun Cthulhu coming out, which for those of you who don't know, Actun Cthulhu is um, World War II Cthulhu stuff, and um, Modifius put it out both for Call of Cthulhu and Savage Worlds, and so the Call of Cthulhu version is kind of investigative um, and uh, works in the Call of Cthulhu way, and then the Savage Worlds is more kind of like pulp adventures in um, that period and all that sort of stuff. And then I think their thunder got stolen a little bit by Chaosium because Chaosium put out Pulp Cthulhu as a um, expansion to Call of Cthulhu 7th. And that kind of stole Modifius' thunder with Acton Cthulhu and all that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I think there is a 2D20 version of Acton Cthulhu coming. And um, I don't know what else. Although it seems like the ones that Modifius develops in-house are mostly 2D20 versus they, they also contract with a number of other um, companies, another number of other developers as publishers. And so like the, the free league games, I believe are not, um, 
I don't think any of them are 2D20, although I'd like to check them out. Speaking, I'm going to talk about that later, um, but there's a couple of, I've, hear, I've heard good things about Forbidden Lands, and Coriolis sounds really fascinating to me, and I'd like to, to get into that game. But that's not what we're talking about today. We are now going to talk about RuneQuest Glorantha. So RuneQuest Glorantha is really fascinating. Um, for those of you who don't know, there are like now seven different versions of RuneQuest, and there's a whole bunch of different games based off of the sort of core system, um, including Call of Cthulhu, which I was talking about earlier. Um, I, I think this is going to be my wrap, my kind of campaign wrap-up episode, um, talk about what what has been going on with games and then i think my next episode i'm going to do an overview of um percentile dice based games um especially the the kind of rune quest chaosium family tree and all of that sort of stuff um what's available currently and what you should uh think about getting into because i've been getting into them recently and it's pretty cool but RuneQuest Glorantha is the most recent edition of RuneQuest. It is published by Chaosium. It is set in Glorantha, which is this fantasy world created by Greg Stafford that is um, Bronze Ages. It, it, it's Bronze Age, a Bronze Age world, and it is super mythological. Um, everything that kind of happens has this, there's this sort of tripartite, world division that has to do with the gods and the mortals and the runes and each of those interacts with each other in really fascinating ways um, but they're all real and important and can interact with each other and so you get like um, the 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 sun in Glorantha is actually Yelm, one of the gods, or maybe it's one of the other sun solar gods, and Yelm is just the solar emperor. I don't remember exactly, but it's it's a real god doing a, a thing instead of just like a, a celestial body doing stuff. And there's kind of wild interactions back and forth with that and all that sort of stuff. And that interacts with the runes also, because there are these runes that um, are the sort of fundamental building blocks of creation and within the world of Glorantha kind of in universe, there's scholarly arguments over whether the runes or the faith that mortals place in the gods or the gods themselves are sort of at the core of everything and are the, the basis from which existence is determined and all that sort of stuff. And there's even the, one of the two sort of bad guys in the universe. One of them is, um, the Lunar Empire, who are bad because they're chaos-friendly. Um, but then one of the other sort of bad guy, it's complicated. There's a branch of um, kind of mythological analysts who uh, try to simplify the mythology down and do bad stuff that way or something. I don't remember exactly. Somebody who knows more about Glorantha can do that but but basically the joseph campbells of the world um can cause problems for gloranthans anyway um runequest glorantha 
has some really cool things to do with character creation. It is a um, D100 percentile based system. And it has this life path generation system. The life path generation is actually not just your life path, but your um, grandparent and parents life path. You choose which of your grandparents and which of your parents are sort of the most influential on you um, and go through and based on what they experience in their life. And then at the end, what you experience in your life, um, there aren't a lot of kind of stat or skill modifiers. There's a couple of them, but the bigger thing is that you get um, passions and the way passions work is you can call upon a passion and roll against the passion number and, um, either strengthen all of your abilities as you kind of dig down deep and draw upon your passion, or perhaps if you roll incorrectly or roll poorly, you can um, weaken yourself, become demoralized essentially as you are unable to kind of effectively draw upon your passions. Um, and the life path system is really about building a set of passions for your character um, so that they have kind of character traits. Um, and then you get into the um, actual raw stats. And the raw stats are done a couple of ways. So you have rune affinities, rune affinities, which are basically... Um, like I said, the runes are the sort of core building blocks of creation in some ways. Um, and so you have an affinity to different runes. And so there's a set, there's a sort of cycle of six runes. And then there's paired runes. And the paired runes, you get, um, you know, like truth and illusion. And so my character is like 85% truth, 15% illusion or something. And so he, he doesn't lie. He, except in, in perhaps the most dire of circumstances, he might lie, but normally he doesn't lie. He just, um, he's a straight and narrow kind of character. And that ties into his God, which is Yelmalio, which is interesting. Um, my character is a scribe. He's very intelligent and he's big. He's a, a big, strong man, which I think is cool. Um, I like the idea of a, 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 you may, if you follow my podcast or watch any of the, the videos where I play games with um, Kevin Dungeon Musings online, um, you may well have realized that I enjoy um, sort of big, powerful, and smart characters and creative characters and this idea of a sort of warrior poet and all of that sort of stuff I think is really cool. And it's one of the things that I think is sort of unfortunate about certain RPGs, um, by which I mean, especially some with like points by systems, I think it's dumb that, you know, like every fighter has intelligence eight, essentially. I think that's, that's kind of silly. And I like the idea of having a, um, a more kind of multifaceted and and in particular more um, creative. I think creativity is a really big thing for for all of us as humans. And um, 
I like the idea of having a character that is not just kind of one thing, but has these sort of creative outlets and, you know, is a, a tough warrior who also writes poetry, that sort of thing. That's, that's kind of a go-to for me, a, a powerful warrior, excuse me, who also writes poetry or, or paints or something. Anyway, um, my, RuneQuest Glorantha character is not so much of a powerful warrior. He is, um, in the sense that he is not super skilled with many weapons. Um, he's good with a bow, um, and so he can he can use a, a self bow, a just a just a simple curve, not a recurve um, bow, really well. Um, he's a deadly archer, but he's not much of a hand-to-hand fighter just because he's not super practiced, even though he's, he's pretty big and pretty tough. Um, but he is a scribe and he makes his living doing, um, scribal work. He's not really a bureaucrat. Um, he could sort of move up into the bureaucracy, but he doesn't. And he is a devotee of Yelmalio. Yelmalio, who is a really... I think an interesting God within the pantheon because Yelmalio is a solar deity who um, throws his lot in with the storm tribe essentially. And so he is, and he is a sort of patron of like guarding the frontier and stuff like that. And I don't remember all the stuff about Yelmalio, although perhaps I should pull up, something about Yelmalio and and read to you about him because that might be interesting. Here, let me let me do that. Let me see if I'm on the right page for um Um dun 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 rune magic shaman sorcery between adventures, um, three oh eight. Is that the right Yelmalio? Yelmalio is the god of the sun dome, the shining light of the sky when both the sun and night are absent. He is also the predominant sky god worshipped in Dragon Pass, but is also popular among the elves. The cult survives by training and hiring out Sarissa armed soldiers as mercenaries, the famous sun dome templars. Fire Day of Truth Week in the fire season is the High Holy Day of Yelmalio. Seasonal holidays are each Fire Day of Truth Week. Um, so yeah, Yelmalio is is interesting. He's a sort of warrior god who's not just a warrior. He is, um, in particular, one of the kind of interesting things is that he gives gifts and gyases, um, which is basically he uh, gives bonuses um bonuses to the uh character but he um has certain certain penalties that basically uh you have to live with if you get a gift from Yelmalio um which is kind of interesting um so my character has the gift that he raised a cult weapon skill which is the bow um, uh, he, um, in exchange, never eats any meat but bird. 
um, my character, Harroward, um, as a devotee of Yelmalio, he, he only eats birds, but he can shoot birds pretty well because of, of Yelmalio's aid in raising his bow skills. So that's interesting. Um, anyway, the, the character creation in RuneQuest Glorantha, it was really cool. It was, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in it and I need to reread the rule book so that I can actually finish character creation. Cause I have to pick every character has a certain amount of innate magic. That's just one of the things with rune quest. Um, and so my character, I need to pick his spells and figure out kind of what sort of magical stuff he can do and all that. But yeah, I have a, a scribe devoted to Yelmalio instead of to Lank or me, who I understand is the kind of standard knowledge God. Um, Lank or me, whose devotees wear fake beards, which is super cool. Um, this kind of a, a, a weird detail that I think is interesting. Um, anyway, instead of being a devotee of Lank or me, which was kind of the, the standard choice for a scribe, I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to be a, a devotee of Yelmalio. Um, but yeah, RuneQuest Glorantha character creation, it was pretty interesting. It was a lot of fun to do. Um, I don't think we're going to actually play RuneQuest Glorantha um, for quite a while because... Um, Because we're all busy and all that sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know when exactly we are going to play that game with those characters, but it'll be fun. Whenever we do, I'm I'm excited, and I'm I'm excited enough to have been getting into some of the other um, D percentile based systems. So I am going to I'm not going to talk about that this episode, but next episode I'm going to talk about some of the cool D percentile systems that are available and sort of how they work and all that sort of stuff. Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I'm doing a sort of second intro because I am basically combining two episodes into one long episode. Um, I originally said I was going to talk about Star Trek Adventures and RuneQuest Glorantha, and then I played a couple more games before recording the information about Star Trek Adventures and RuneQuest Glorantha. And so I'm going to talk about some of those games now. Um, in particular, I think the main one I'm going to talk about is losing my character with Nod. Um, he died in in our most recent session of Tulaborg Tales, and um, I'm going to talk about that. So the three things that I have played recently are um, another session of Beneath the Boneyard playing through um, one of the, the Pathfinder first edition adventure paths with Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. And my paladin, Sagramore, is a, a great, fun character to play. He's big and powerful, and he's a, a tough warrior, but he's also you know, determined to do good and all that sort of stuff. And he's 
a lot of fun. I like it a lot. Um, it's a weird, trippy adventure, um, and it's a lot of fun. It's uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, in our last session, we had an accidental split the party, and then we very nearly had one of our um, buddies die in battle. But Yorian um, was okay at the end of it, and then we found a place to hole up and sleep and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, Beneath the Boneyard's been a lot of fun. We also played the Skitter Shot from 2018, the Skitter Manor one-shot of Starfinder on Friday, which um, was also a lot of fun. My character was called Nako, and Nako is a, um, a skittermander with a big uh, a thing called an ember flame doshko, which is sort of like a lightsaber axe or a lightsaber glaive or halberd or something. Uh, anyway, um, a big energy weapon um, to smack bad guys with, um, and it was a lot of fun. I, I wish my only – well, it was a lot of fun. Um, my only complaint is basically not a, a complaint about much, but just that um, apparently the system does not handle grappling very well, which is not too super surprising because most games don't handle grappling. But Skittermanders get a bonus to grappling, and I had 18 strength, so I felt like it would have been really fun to play like a, a Skittermander wrestler with six arms who... Um, would subdue enemies with grappling that would be um yeah i think that would be a lot of fun um but apparently that doesn't work quite so well for um starfinder so anyway but yeah starfinder um it was pretty cool i also just personally i think skittermanders are not quite so much my speed um i enjoyed playing as a skittermander but um, I, I like to be kind of the silly guy in the serious room in some ways. Um, that's just me and, um, all the Skittermanders were a little silly. And so I, I ended up being the serious guy in the silly room. And, um, anyway, that's, that's more just on me and kind of what I like and prefer and all that sort of stuff. But, um, Yeah. Starfinder was fun. Um, I would definitely, Kevin, if you're listening to this, I would definitely play Starfinder again. Um, with the, since there's another skitter shot, we could play uh, that one, and that would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Starfinder was good. I don't. Well, Kevin Madison of Dungeon Musings is a big fan of Starfinder, um, and there's some cool stuff about Starfinder, but. If I'm being honest, I it's kind of not um, not mechanically different enough to be a, a strong sell for me, I suppose. It's a little bit too much kind of standard D20, D&D, and Pathfinder mechanics for it to be a really strong sell just out of the gate, as opposed to Star Trek Adventures, that if I'm comparing a sort of sci-fi adventure with Star Trek adventures versus a sci-fi adventure with Starfinder. Um, 
Starter Trek Adventures, I could kind of instantly see as we were playing it, oh, this is why this system is really cool. This is this is what I want to do with it. This is what is really interesting about it. This is kind of um, what's special about this game versus Starfinder. Um, not that it wasn't cool and not that it wasn't fun. It was just sort of like, oh, this is another D20 game with a couple of different changes. And some of the changes are really cool. Like I liked the the stamina mechanic that makes it easier to do um, kind of serious fights without the kind of 5e, you just heal up all your hit points so easily type thing. And and you have hit dice and you use them up with short rests and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, um, the stamina system was, was kind of an interesting mechanic and the um, bounded accuracy element of Starfinder was kind of interesting too. And, you know, the the setting, there's some cool stuff about the setting. I just, I felt like mechanically it was um, a little too close to some of those other games to be sort of an instant sell, right? That I, I couldn't look at Starfinder and say, oh, mechanically, this is why this one stands out. Um, which again, I, uh, that sounds negative, and I'm not trying to be negative. I, I had a great time with Starfinder. It's just, you know, it's not, uh, well, I'm not likely to run it anytime soon, but that's for other reasons too, because uh, the rule book is intimidating and all that. So the third thing that we played was what? We are calling Tuleborg Tales, which is another session, another Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea campaign set in Kevin Madison's continent of Thule in, in the town of Tuleborg. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, very fun session. The first, not just the first one, but the first two PC deaths in Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea happened that session. We had the the bard go down, and then my character, Gwithnod, the barbarian, um, got ambushed in the wilderness by undead dogs and got uh, eaten to death, um, which, eh, I liked Gwithnod, but I'm, I'm not super upset. I'm kind of glad kind of glad that it happened in a lot of ways. Um, not because I wanted Gwithnod to die, but because it sort of reaffirms this um, old school play element in a lot of ways. It seems like that's a, like, you know, almost like a check mark to, to check off the box and say, yep, I've had a, a character die to a random encounter um, and reaffirms the, the danger of this system and the idea that this is a, a brutal um, world and all that sort of stuff. And so anyway, um, I know some people can get upset when their characters die. I was not upset when Gwithnod died in any particular way. I mean, I was, it, it was sort of like, oh, that's too bad. But I wasn't like, you know, going to go home and cry or anything like that. Um, which is not to say that I didn't like with not. I thought he was a fun, a fun, interesting character. Although I'm excited to play 
my new character, Leocrates. Leocrates, who is going to be a squire for one of the other characters. And he's a, a cataphract, but instead of being a sort of knightly chivalrous cataphract, he's a bit more of a like samurai archer type. Um, basically because um, Kevin at one point was talking about the cataphracts and mentioned something about samurai. And for those of you who don't know, um, the samurai before the soul of the samurai was in the katana, it was in the bow, the yumi, these, these long bows. Um, and so I had this idea of, oh, I could have a really interesting kind of support archer rider character who's a, a squire to Nicomedes Colin's character, which is, I think, going to be fun, um, partly because I like Colin a lot, and he's a great guy, and I'm sure you listen to Spike Pitt, but if you don't, you should. Um, and um, so my my character would be his squire, and then we would, you know, go on adventures and all of that sort of stuff, and... Um, yeah, Leocrates, I think, is going to be a, a fun character. I'm excited to get to play him. Um, rest in peace with Nod. But I have moved on to a new character. Um, anyway, it was, a, it was a fun session. And I, I feel like it's worth restating with that one in particular that it was a fun session a lot um, because I know some people can get upset about character death and um, I you know I had fun it was it was uh, a positive session it's a little um, it's interesting thinking about gameplay mechanics and how they interact with each other. Because one of the things that I was thinking about afterward is that um, because Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers of Hyperborea doesn't have a sort of elaborate skill system or anything like that, um, there isn't a lot that your character is built for aside from fighting and doing kind of adventure things. And if adventures are supposed to be dangerous, that's kind of an interesting paradox it seems like by comparison um just because i've been reading these d100 games that for instance something like mithras mithras certainly uh generates uh capable and you could totally play sword and sorcery characters with mithras but that um mithras characters sort of like runequest glorantha characters are kind of assumed to have a real life beyond adventuring and have skills that reflect that. And that um, Ash has a little bit of that, but not quite so much. And that that's kind of an interesting, I don't know if it's really a paradox, but it's, it's just sort of a, a interesting design feature of astonishing swordsman sources of Hyperborea or with um, GURPS. Cause Kevin and I have been talking about GURPS and Kevin put GURPS on the fucking schedule, dude. We should play it. It's going to be fun. Um, I'd like to play it. And I know you you spent, you know, like 30 minutes talking about how much you want to play GURPS. So put it on the schedule and we'll play. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, one of the things I was telling Kevin about GURPS is that it seems like in some ways it's a really good system to be not an adventurer in um, because if you have this kind of deadly dangerous system, 
um, certainly my mind instantly goes to, well, why be a, an adventurer unless the rewards are commensurate and the rewards are not necessarily commensurate in some of these games. Um, which is not to say, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what I'm saying, but I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is this idea that I think that, um, it is, it is an interestingly different way to handle the concepts of dangerous combat in particular that Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers of Hyperborea handles it by just making character generation pretty easy. And characters are, um, they can be a little complex, but they're not super complex by any means. Nothing like the RuneQuest Glorantha characters. I mean, I was able to make Leocrates in like 20 minutes, um, maybe less, honestly, just because I, I already knew the Cataphract class pretty well and I knew where I was going to put my stats and all that sort of stuff. Um, But that by comparison, something like it seems like a number of the D100 D percentile games, and and particularly I'm thinking about RuneQuest Glorantha because we made characters for it, take the approach that combat is going to be deadly. And so that's not really what you do all the time unless you are specifically a warrior that um, what you spend your time doing is living as a, a real person in the world doing scribal duties or philosophizing or farming or whatever it is that is your kind of occupation. And then you sort of go on these adventures, um, generally one per year. You have the kind of adventuring season when work dies down and you go out and do stuff. And um, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting way to handle these different concepts. And I think the um, the design can say a lot about the assumptions of the world, right? One of the assumptions of the world of RuneQuest Glorantha, of Glorantha itself, is that people are tied to their communities and they um, live in their communities and they do stuff there and they work there and all that sort of stuff. Uh, versus Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea seems like it embraces the... Um, sword and sorcery style, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily um, kind of almost what you do is adventure. And it, the in-between is, you know, spending all that money that you got on adventuring and carousing and having fun and all that sort of stuff. And what we really care about kind of seeing within the life of these characters is their adventure parts. So anyway, I was just thinking about that. Um, because of the comment that I made to Kevin that like in a GURPS game, why wouldn't I just be a blacksmith and have a boring but safe life as a blacksmith? Why would I go out and be an adventurer if it's going to be so deadly? And um, obviously part of the answer is because that's what makes for a fun game. But um, I, I'm just sort of thinking about how the skill systems and the character design concepts in these different games reflect the different ways that um, the different sort of logic of what you're expected to do and how you're supposed to interact with the world in these games. Um, so yeah, and that's sort of a segue into my next episode is going to be about D100 games. And I'm going to do... Um, I normally do overviews of single systems, but what I'm going to do is rather than 
an overview of a single system with a kind of what's in the book for the system. I'm going to go over um, a whole bunch of different kind of particular examples of depercentile based games and sort of what they're good for and different things like that. And um, yeah, sort of give you an idea of what you should be thinking about if you want to get into depercentile games. So yeah, that's the episode. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you, uh, I mean, especially if you listened all the way through and are getting to the outro, I hope you enjoyed it and didn't, didn't just listen to it out of spite or something like that. That would kind of suck. Um, anyway, hit me up on Twitter at cows from Powis. Hit me up here on anchor live from Pelham's wasteland. I have been Arlen Walker and I've been live from Pelham's wasteland. I will see you next time.